Hi, everybody. I'm Brittany Lewis, a reporter here at Forbes. Joining me now is Ben Goodwin, co-founder and CEO of Olipop. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Brittany, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about the Olipop journey. But before we get started, let's start at the beginning. What is Olipop? So Olipop is being called a functional soda. Uh, we actually are the progenitors of the category and the leaders of the category. Olipop is a new kind of soda. Uh, instead of the 40 grams of sugar you used to in like a Coca-Cola, it has two to five per can and it has nine grams of functional fiber. So it's effectively a healthy soda, but it replaces the soda we all grew up drinking and loved. So did you always know you wanted to get into the healthy food space? What brought you here? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I actually grew up uh, in Northern California. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. And I grew up eating a standard American diet. Uh, and I wouldn't say that worked out super well for me. And so I kind of, in, as a teenager, went on my own health journey. I lost a bunch of weight. I got more energy. That was all fantastic. But what really impacted me was how eating healthy seemed to benefit kind of my cognitive clarity, my emotional clarity. Uh, and that ended up becoming something I wanted to share with the broader United States. I mean, we, unfortunately, according to the CDC, live in a country where 40% of people have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. Um, and a lot of that's driven by our food supply. And so I, as an adult, had the mission of how do I take empirically validated food science and turn it into something that's actually wild, widely accessible to help to kind of offset this issue we're facing. Sure. And what's interesting, you used the phrase healthy soda. And normally when people hear the word healthy, normally soda is not right after that. So what was your ultimate vision for Olipop? And did you ever have to pivot at all? So Olipop has always had a consistent vision. Uh, and that, I think, is in part because we had a bit of a, uh, a precursor company, that, which is when I essentially formulated this kind of first healthy soda. Um, I mean, the data is pretty straightforward, right? Soda has 98% household penetration compared to say 18% household penetration for like a kombucha or even, uh, I think it's something about 45% for sparkling water, but the size as well of soda's category, it's $42 billion in the United States. Um, and it's just astronomically larger than anything else in the non-alc space. So. The goal was always to meet people where they were as much as I could, and soda was a fantastic way to do that. We worked out some of the conceptual kinks, and we got a lot of good feedback from our customers in my prior venture. So by the time we were ready to launch Olipop, we definitely knew what we were trying to do. 98% household penetration, that's huge. I mean, growing up, a lot of houses, obviously based on that data, were soda households. So when you hear mm -hmm. that, how do you convince people, hey, ditch your tried and true Coca-Cola, ditch your Sprite, and here's a different option. How do you do that? That's a great question. <laughs> I think, you know, the first, the first step is uh, you have to actually make a product that on an experiential level is as satisfying for your customers as a lot of those, old, uh, those other products. I mean, we've been, and we've been lucky, really lucky to actually see a lot of that traction. So in one of our largest retail partners nationally, 
Um, Olipop's become a bigger brand than Pepsi, Canada Dry, Mountain Dew, and our root beer outsells A&W. Um, and a lot of what's driving that is that we, we could be a healthy product all day. And we are healthy. We, done in vitro trials with, with Purdue and other universities. We, we have strong clinical evidence that shows our product transfers uh, a health benefit. But uh, at the end of the day, the thing that's going to motivate somebody to actually replace that, to your point, that really long-standing relationship that they would have had with like a soda, uh, a soda it's got to taste right. Uh, and it has to be accessible from the branding to the flavor profile. And uh, I do happen to be the product's formulator, but I think our, our customers are giving us the clear signal that that's their experience. So you're the formulator, and I want you to walk us through that moment where you tasted the cola, you tasted the root beer, and you said, this tastes just right. Because I've, I've talked to a few different healthy food brands, none in the beverage space, and I asked them when was that moment? Because a lot of the times, just as a consumer, I can attest to when you pick the healthier option, sometimes it tastes like the healthier option and not in a good way. So when was the moment for you, you taste this and you're like, you know what, I, I hit it. That, that, that is so right. And that's exactly the experience that we are not trying to have with Olipop. I mean, it really should. Um, and again, that's what was really helpful for me to grow up drinking soda and, and having all these flavors be quite nostalgic for me as well, because I know what that flavor is supposed to taste like. And I've been formulating it long enough to know how to put my own personal spin on it uh, so that it's unique for, for Olipop. But I have a little, I do have a little trick for that, for all the aspiring uh, uh, product developers out there, at least in the beverage space. Um, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time thinking through the architecture of the formula so that when I get to the point where I'm ready to write it down on my formula log and start working at it, I'm actually surprisingly close already because I, I just have enough experience to kind of be able to anticipate where the ingredients are going to come out but then i've got to run a bunch of tests and that takes a while but when i get to the point where i've got a sample sitting on my desk i drink it put it down i'm thinking about it if in 20 to 30 seconds without thinking oh i should drink that again i just instinctively reach my hand out because i'm craving another sip I know I've gotten close. So when I, whenever I'm in that territory, I'm like, okay, we're almost there. And something else interesting that you did mention is you're out selling Pepsi, Canada Dry, A&W. How are you doing this exactly? Because beverages are very saturated market. So how are you cutting through? You know, I will say, I, I do think it is this kind of, this combination, which I've, I've touched on a little bit prior, but it's, you know, there's a $300 billion health and wellness market between food, supplements, and beverage. And probably about less than 1% of those brands have actually done their own empirical research to see if their product is, is delivering any health benefits or if there's any kind of evidence that would support that they would do that. Um, simultaneously, I think a lot of the health products that get formulated aren't formulated in a way that's truly empathetic for what the need state is for their customer. Like what what flavor profiles are really meaningful to them? And are you willing to invest enough to really get that product to the place where it actually delivers that value? And when you can when you can nail both of those things, when you can create a product that just the experience of consuming it is is 
is is good enough that it it satisfies that craving. Uh, but then people can also look at the amount of sugar and look at the amount of fiber and maybe do some research on the website and say, oh, wow, like they have a scientific advisory board and they've actually done some research. When all that can come together, I think you've got a real shot of disrupting the current norm. I do now want to pivot more to the business side. And your company reportedly started about five years ago with a $100,000 investment, and it's now on track to surpass $200 million this year in sales. Talk about that growth, because that's just incredible. Yeah, thanks. Do I still have any skin on my face? It's, it's been, it's <laughs> You're like, a, is this real it's life? It's been a while. <laughs> I know. It's been a while because it, it's going so fast. I mean, it's been an absolute wild ride. Um, Look, I, I would say at the end of the day, this comes down to the customer. Like the customer tells you whether they like your product and they tell you how much they like your product. You know, we're lucky to have a repurchase rate that's about 2.5 to three times industry norm. And that's 100% driven by our customers saying they love a product and they want to keep drinking it. And, and there is no real replacement for that. Um, so that is a, as a baseline. I, and I would say I'm, I'm also really grateful to our team because that when there is no way to predict that kind of growth, we just had no we had no prediction for that. I mean, we 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 were projecting something like sixty five seventy million dollars less for for this year than we actually ended up accomplishing. And so it's very hard to budget for that. It's hard to plan for that. Some and 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 correspondently, sometimes your internal policies and structure can fall a little behind the curve when you're growing at a rate that nobody can expect. So. Um, we've got a really engaged team, a really aligned team. Our, we have a culture that promotes a lot of kind of common humanity and trust. And when you have a high trust, highly aligned culture, um, your team can still work in a high functioning way, even under some pressure. And even when all your processes haven't totally laddered up to, to where you want to be as a business. So we're now closing the gap on a lot of those things and we're doing a lot more hiring. But without some of those kind of interpersonal components to to the Olipop culture and the Olipop company, we would have we would have really struggled a lot more than we have. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's something that people don't really realize in business or in the workplace at all. You really need an engaged and aligned team. You share a common mm -hmm. goal and you all want to get there. So internally, what do you do to foster that type of environment? Great, great question. Um, and to your point, I think you can solve structure all day too, right? But if you've got low, if you've got a low trust culture, it's not going to really fix the problem. You have to address the EQ and the and the interpersonal uh, material in addition to the structure. So we do a range of things. We've got a set of, of company values. Um, we don't just want those to become wallpaper. We have uh, employees actually will build decks um, that talk about their interpretation of the values, their life experience of the values. We have a personal development stipend so people can get physical health, including gym, personal trainers, mental health, including therapy, personal enrichment. Uh, we have a really robust uh, uh, leadership university called Olipop Leadership University, which is taught by a dear friend and my executive coach who has a PhD in organizational psychology. Um, but we're also not an entitlement culture. It's it's important that to us that we don't just take give everybody everything that they want and take all the challenges off their plate uh, we try to be a strength-based culture so we're going to treat you like a human being we're going to equip you with tools uh, but when something 
comes up and is challenging, we expect you to do the work to get stronger to overcome that challenge. And when that happens successfully, you actually have an even more loyal um, group of employees who are also now more competent. And that's a situation where everybody's engaged and everybody wins. I want to talk about you as an entrepreneur a little bit. You are now at the helm of an extremely successful company. So I'm curious, what's one piece of business rules that you kept that's a traditional business from the traditional business playbook that you kept? And then one piece that you just tossed away and you did it your own way? You know, (laughs) when my team hears this, they're going to just laugh because the thing about me is, you know, I, I dropped out of college at 20. I've never worked in a large corporation in my life. So to be fully honest with you, I don't know what a traditional corporate playbook is the majority of the time. You know, I read, I, I love the Harvard Business Lecture uh, lectures and essays. I love to read books on all sorts of different case studies. Um, but it's it's hard to know. I mean, look, there's certain things you have to do. Like you have to manage your money correctly you've got to you've got to make sure that as you scale you scale towards a PL that's sustainable um there's certain seasons in the business where you need to hire against growth and then other seasons where you need to hire against infrastructure there's there's a lot of stuff that you you learn um but i think that you know one thing that i think is is a little out of order sometimes in the way that people think about business is the ratio between innovation and creativity and then finance and operations. And I think sometimes when businesses are started uh, for purely economical reasons, or they get to a place of economic success where they're attracted to that kind of class of operator, um, businesses may end up plunking a financial or or operational um, kind of center of gravity into their business. And and a lot of the decision-making comes from that place of center of gravity. And I think that's pretty out of touch with why most customers are interacting with your business in the first place. They're interacting with your business and supporting your business because you're providing them with value. You're probably providing them with differentiated and innovative value. And so I think a healthy business structure, from my standpoint, creativity and innovation is at the center of that, 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 uh, of, of gravity and your operations and your finance are really there to, uh, empower and put the right guardrails and the right structures in place to kind of keep that contained and moving in the right direction. So that might answer your, your question, but that's something that it I does. About. No, that totally makes sense. And Ben, f- my final question to you would be what's next for Olipop? Uh, we, I, it's going to be a, a big year next year. Um, you know, we're going to be expanding into some new classes of uh, some new channels, which I'm really excited about. We should see expansions across club, expansions across convenience. Uh, we've got some really exciting partnerships I can't quite announce yet. Um, and there's some new flavors coming out. So uh, it's a little bit of more of the same, but there's also some enhanced accessibility, uh, enha- enhanced flavor ranges. and. I'm, you know, we launched our Real Love Makes Us brand strategy campaign this year with Camila Cabello, and there's a lot more stories to tell um, off the initial success we had with that. So we'll also have a lot of really innovative and interesting marketing content coming out, which I'm really excited about. And how are you picking the flavors? So we do have 
every customer request that we've ever seen in any format, we do have it all in one big master spreadsheet. So I do have access to that. And, and it's a little bit of reviewing that and seeing what our, what our customers are saying up against me kind of just sitting there thinking like, what would be really fun? And that I think I could do a great job at. And then somewhere in the middle of those two forces, the, we, we land in our flavors. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciated the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brittany. Appreciate you having me.